It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We continue to unravel the mystery tonight around an Oregon family found safe in B.C. days after disappearing into the wilderness. The family of four was supposed to fly to the Philippines when they suddenly canceled their tickets and somehow ended up near Dee's Lake. John Hua has more on what we're learning about exactly how and why they ended up in the backcountry. It's hard not to lose yourself in the beauty of Kiniskan Lake. But there's plenty of reason why you shouldn't get lost there. It's a great distance to travel with no communication. There are no cell towers, there is no cell service, uh, limited gas, so and a limited accommodation. That's why search and rescue crews were elated to find a missing Oregon family Wednesday, including two children, just two and three years old. It's always the same response, but your emotional toll is a little bit uh, heightened when there's children involved. RCMP first discovered their 2018 Toyota Yaris with Oregon plates on Monday, abandoned near Highway 37 in the Dees Lake area. A no left on the vehicle suggested the occupants ran out of gas and might have gone searching for more eight days earlier. Search and rescue teams spotted four individuals on the west side of Kiniskan Lake at about 3 p.m. Wednesday. That's a distance of more than 100 kilometers in the deep backcountry. They said that they were okay and they're helping them out right now. When I was talking to the officer, he said they were feeding them right now. Families say they thought Jeffrey Fan and Michelle Lasaka were taking the kids to the Philippines at the end of May. But when someone from Portland Airport called to say the tickets were cancelled and the bags abandoned, worry and confusion started to set in. I don't know what's going on. They're running away from something. They're in trouble. RCMP say the couple crossed the border near Fernie and claimed they were heading north to Alaska, but were caught unprepared while camping along the way. Alaska or Canada, we don't have any relative up there. So I'm kind of shocked when they go up there. Their family says whatever the reason for the northern adventure, they hope the next stop is back home. John Hua, Global News. Breaking details tonight in a crash that has claimed three lives. It happened in the B.C. interior near Cache Creek. Police say just after 11 this morning, two vehicles collided at the intersection of Highway 97 and Highway 99 just north of Cache Creek. RCMP say a southbound commercial vehicle slammed into a car that was turning left onto Highway 99. All three people in the car were killed, believed to be two adults and a child. There's no word yet on where the victims were from. The highway fully reopening to traffic just a short time ago. A 47-year-old Surrey man is now charged in connection with a murder on Commercial Drive. It happened last fall. Police say on October 12th, the 33-year-old victim, Joseph Jandrew, was found on the drive near East 1st Avenue suffering stab wounds. He was rushed to hospital where he died. Today, police announced Ranjit Sangha has been charged with second-degree murder. Our investigators were not able to find uh, a relationship and, and believe this to be uh, one of the first times they've met. We do just know this was a brief altercation that led uh, to Mr. Jandrew's death. 
RCMP divers have now recovered the body of a Delta man who drowned in Alice Lake, north of Squamish. Friends say the 20-year-old was swimming near the southwest side of the lake yesterday when he went into distress and disappeared. Just after one this afternoon, divers found the man's body. No names have been released. Vancouver police are warning the public after a terrifying scam. Fraudsters posing as agents from the Canada Revenue Agency now taking their rip-off game to the next level. Ramina Dea is live with the details tonight. Ramina, they actually impersonated police officers and confronted one victim. That's what's shocking to the police when they were telling us the details today, Chris. This victim is traumatized after she was arrested, handcuffed, and kidnapped by fake officers. It happened around 4 p.m. yesterday in Vancouver. The 58-year-old Surrey woman was in Vancouver when she received a call, what appears to be a random call from someone claiming to be from the CRA. The suspect told her there was a warrant out for her arrest because she owed money on her taxes. She was then connected to another fraudster claiming to be an RCMP officer and he somehow manipulated the woman into giving up her location. Moments later she was approached on the street by two men who looked like they were wearing RCMP uniforms with guns. It's unclear if the weapons were fake or real. She was handcuffed, put in the back of a car. She was scared into withdrawing $6,000 from a bank near Camby in West King Edward. The story doesn't end there, Chris. They then drove her to Surrey and made her deposit the money into a Bitcoin machine. And once the transaction was complete, the suspects fled, leaving the victim behind. This incident has taken the CRA scam to a new level. Taking physical control over somebody can be contributed or could be considered kidnapping or unlawful confinement. We're taking this investigation very seriously. We're reminding people to hang up whenever they receive a phone call from the CRA. If you're at all curious and you want to make contact with the CRA, please use a publicly available number for the CRA and call them yourself. Now, the two men posing as officers are described as white with brown hair, about 25 to 30 years old. They were driving a black older model four-door sedan with worn-out seats. That's all police can tell us at this point. It's very early in this investigation. So if you saw anything suspicious in Vancouver or Surrey yesterday and you haven't called it in yet, police are asking that you please give them a call. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Romina. Citing a lack of transparency, Surrey Councillor Bruce Hain is cutting his ties with the Surrey First Party. That party Surrey swept the city council uh, elections in 2014, led by sitting mayor Linda Hepner. But with just months to go until the civic election, Hain says he's come to realize his goals don't align with the party and he will sit as an independent. I don't, I don't think that we have communicated nearly enough with the community. We haven't engaged the community nearly enough on some very important issues, uh, such as transit, uh, such as uh, public safety, uh, such as uh, the growth and development uh, throughout the city. And I believe that we need to be communicating a lot more with the community. I consider what uh, the councillor has said as being pretty hypocritical. I know as late as last week he was looking for support for a mayoral. So what happened? I don't know, but I'm really, uh, I think it's a, um, I think it's an election ploy and I'm disappointed. 
Well, Councillor Haynes says the tipping point for his decision was a recent rally at City Hall that attracted hundreds of Surrey residents calling for action to stop the violence in the city. Our Nadia Stewart joins us live with more on Wake Up Surrey. Nadia, organizers held a follow-up event today pushing forward with their own campaign for change. Yeah, they say they're going to be releasing a one-year action plan, a plan that is sustainable, actionable, and that is also grassroots. Now, this comes uh, in response to the deaths of two teens in Surrey, followed by uh, a rather large rally here at City Hall. There are calls now for all levels of government, for police and the community to step up and work together. There were also questions for the mayor of Surrey, including from a heckler who asked why she was not at the Wake Up Surrey rally. Now, the mayor answered those questions but she was also defending her record and her efforts while mayor. She addressed the questions about the calls for more police officers, saying that that is something that has come up repeatedly, but the public would need to consider it seriously. Never. It is now time to say to the public, are you content and are you happy with the costing of police in this city? And is there, is there a different formula that you would like? Now, look for two reports to come out in uh, the next couple of weeks. The Mayor's Task Force on Gang Violence Prevention, that should be out in about two weeks. And Wake Up Surrey, their report should be out in about a week. Back to you, Sophie. Nadia Stewart in Surrey. Nadia, thank you. We now know pot will become legal October 17th, but businesses selling recreational marijuana are scrambling to figure out exactly how to play by the rules. Jill Bennett explains why some retail operations are struggling to find clarity. Jill. Chris, this cannabis lounge currently operating in Vancouver is outside the current laws. But when cannabis is legalized in October, there's no guarantee it will be able to continue. (coughs) For many, the wait for cannabis legalization has been a long one, but the payoff might not be exactly what they were fighting for. It's very difficult for the government to tell us that we aren't authorized and then refuse to authorize us and then punish us for not having their authorization. We just want to be legal and licensed and it should be very easy to do so. But it likely won't be easy. Lounges like this one are not legal under the incoming cannabis legislation and anyone wanting to be a licensed cannabis seller will have to get both provincial and municipal approval. You're going to have to get approval from your municipality. You're going to have to pass a very strict background check uh, that's conducted by the province and get a provincial license. And then and only then will you be able to become a a legal uh, retailer. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to stay in business. Stop carrying all the products I do now, cut off all my current suppliers, and tell all my medical patients who rely on us for extracts and edibles and all those kind of things, sorry, we won't have those anymore. Maybe we'll have some of those on the shelves in a couple of years. In the meantime, you're out of luck and you're on your own. Vancouver is amending the current bylaw, and applicants will be required to have municipal land use approval to operate a store. The city of Richmond wants no part of retail cannabis sales, saying they will be banned even after legalizing but the mayor does want more money for enforcement. For every gram that's being sold of cannabis products, there's going to be a $1 tax. Uh, the federal government has said they want 25 cents of that, but we think that the locals should get at least 50 cents of every tax dollar because it, ultimately, after all these regulations are put into place, it's going to be the locals that have to enforce. 
As for the new provincial enforcement team being established to make sure cannabis sellers will follow the new laws, the public safety minister says it's still unclear how many people will be hired and what that team will be called. Chris? All right, got a few weeks, months to figure it out. Thanks, Jill. TransLink is bucking a ridership trend. While many cities across North America are seeing a drop in transit use right now, ridership in Metro Vancouver is up. Ted Trunecki explains why it's faring better than the rest and how new technology is making it even easier for people to hop on board. As an annual general meeting goes, this was a benign affair. No heated exchanges between management and irate commuters. TransLink is wallowing in its annual service performance review that suggests the system is getting better for the customer because, says the chief executive officer, it has to. We are actively managing to the expectation of a million new residents here over the new 30 over the next 30 years that is the basis for really everything that we are doing in translink uh, in so many in so many ways ridership system wide is up on average 5.6% in 2017 and that's not only because of the new evergreen extension ridership is up across the board and in every region even the crowded capital line is up 11% from the year before We have a strong economy in this region. Uh, We went through a period where we didn't have any transit expansion, and now we're expanding transit, and and people are taking, uh, taking advantage of that. And new this year is an interactive app that allows anyone to drill down deep into TransLink's collected data. Before, you'd have to sift through hundreds and hundreds of PDF files. Now you can not only search for specific traffic patterns, you can even download the data. You can go onto a, a, a user-friendly visualization tool and look at your particular bus route you're interested in or your particular bus stop and see in, in a graphic format the, the ridership. You can already track where your bus is, but TransLink is also working with third-party software developers so that you'll not only know when it will arrive, but also how full it is. Ted Chernaki, Global News. But first, it's not uncommon for employers to have dress codes. But an Okanagan woman has filed a human rights complaint after losing her job for not complying. As Global Okanagan, Shelby Tom reports the dispute started because the woman refuses to wear a bra. Degraded. Um like, I, like I'm just waiting for my right to vote to be taken away. Yesterday, Christina Shell was a waitress at the Asuyas Golf Club restaurant. Today, she's filing a human rights complaint. I never thought I'd have to face this. Um, I'm angry more than anything. The 25-year-old started her serving position just three weeks ago. She says she does not wear a bra for health reasons. Shell's braless appearance in this uniform prompted complaints from customers. She claims management then attempted to have all employees sign this dress code agreement, which includes... Women must wear either a tank top or bra under their uniform shirt. She refused to sign it. I don't think any other human being should be able to dictate another person's undergarments. Shell says she feels like she was forced out of the job for refusing to comply with what she views as a sexist dress code. If you do not sign this, I cannot continue to go forward. And I said, what does that mean? Does that mean you are amending this agreement or not? And he said, no, I'm not. And got up and I was without a job. General Manager Doug Robb declined our request for an on-camera interview, but says via email that he's not at liberty to discuss confidential employee matters. A Kelowna employment lawyer we spoke to says gender-specific dress codes can be viewed as discrimination under the BC Human Rights Code. If this policy is 
is found to be discrimination, the next question is, is does the employer have a bona fide occupational requirement to essentially impose this on the individual? And you know, I'm kind of scratching my head as to what that occupational requirement would be. Shell says she doesn't want her job back. She just wants to raise awareness. These things happen and these things aren't right. Shelby Tom, Global News, Asias. Extreme weather across the B.C. interior is causing some big problems and threatening to jumpstart this year's fire season. Crews are battling a number of new fires, including this one between Logan Lake and Kamloops on the edge of Tunkwa Lake. It's not huge, just over 20 hectares, but it is out of control. There are almost 200 new fires, mostly caused by lightning over just the past two days. I cannot believe this, and my kids are going sorry. And Prince George has been cleaning up from flooding caused by severe thunderstorms. This major intersection turning into a lake, partially submerging a car. High winds and heavy rain also toppled trees and brought down power poles. Luckily, no injuries reported. Well, those five B.C. families who are trying to bring their adopted babies home from Japan say despite assurances from the Canadian government, they are still stuck in limbo. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, even legal experts from Japan are expressing bewilderment over the actions of Canadian bureaucrats. To the Honourable Ahmed Hassan. A stack of letters sits on Elizabeth Koch's desk at Mulgrave School in West Vancouver. The letters written by first graders addressed to the immigration minister, urging the government to do the right thing. Six and seven-year-olds know the difference between fair and unfair. Five families were given the all-clear by the B.C. government to travel to Japan to complete the adoptions, but the visas from the federal government haven't come through. We'll just show you our home away from home. The families stuck in Tokyo feel abandoned by everyone who is supposed to help. We have not been in direct contact with anyone. That is really frustrating. We feel really alone out here, to be honest. The confusion about the law surrounds the lack of a Japanese court order certifying the adoptions. The immigration minister earlier this week warning the law needs to be followed. We're working to make sure that they, they comply with the law as well as get, get them here as soon as we can. But the lawyer for the five families maintaining the Canadian government is wrong. Legal opinions obtained from Japan are clear. According to the experts, a court order is not needed for Canadian adoption. A chief judge says the final adoption order from B.C. would have legal effect in Japan. Yeah, whenever we kind of reach the end of the week, we know we're in for another two days of not knowing and stewing, not knowing we're going to get more information. And that's always a little, that's just hard. The only thing keeping Lee and Marcy going, support from friends, family, and complete strangers, including six-year-olds scolding the government for dragging its feet. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Come on, come on, come on. Can you get on your feet? Give me your hand. Give me your hand and hold on. Nevada Highway Patrol troopers rush in to drag a man away from his burning car and find themselves in a hail of bullets. Turns out the man had ammunition in the car and the extreme heat was causing the bullets to explode. The drivers suspected of being under the influence. Both troopers are okay.
Well, Donald Trump may have ended his widely condemned policy of separating illegal immigrants from their children, but that hasn't stopped the controversy. Take a look at this week's cover of Time. The magazine combines the iconic photo taken last week of a little girl sobbing while her mother is searched by border agents with a photo of Trump staring down at her all on a stark red background. And it says, welcome to America. Meantime, government agencies are now facing the challenge of reuniting families after Trump's sudden about-face. In a surprise visit to Waterlock, Texas, First Lady Melania Trump waded into the controversy that has drawn worldwide outrage. I'd also like to ask you how I can help to these children to reunite with their families uh, you know, as quickly as possible. The Department of Health and Human Services says about 10,000 of the almost 12,000 children now in its care are unaccompanied minors. Most are teenagers, and 13% are younger than 10. Tonight, more than 2,300 children separated from their parents are in limbo. There are mounting questions about how they'll be reunited and growing confusion within the government. Today, a U.S. attorney's office in Texas told NBC News some pending criminal cases against parents who'd been separated from a child would be dismissed. But the Justice Department later saying that's not true. The Defense Department now sending extra military lawyers to help prosecute cases. How overwhelmed is the immigration system in South Texas right now? Um, There are not enough resources to do what the government wants to do right now. Today, mayors from major U.S. cities gathered at the border, calling this a humanitarian crisis. The reason that those children cannot be reunified is because the system has been overwhelmed by this policy. Despite repeated requests, our cameras haven't been allowed inside migrant children's shelters around the country. But new images released by HHS show living conditions inside facilities in Florida and Virginia. Kids doing homework, eating meals at cafeteria-style tables, and playing soccer. For the youngest, there are cribs high chairs, and small beds with brightly colored linens. And the First Lady generated still more controversy with her choice of outerwear as she flew to Texas. The back of her jacket saying, I really don't care, do you? She had changed into another coat by the time she arrived, and her director of communications dismissed any suggestion that the jacket was sending a message. But Donald Trump tweeted this afternoon that it was a dig at the media and so-called fake news. Well, we have some breaking news to tell you about right now in a new fire that has just broken out right on Kamloops' doorstep. The fires in the area called Bachelor Heights, the flames apparently visible from downtown Kamloops and many other areas. A number of firefighters have been dispatched and we're told that uh, they're calling for all available resources to head to the scene. Now, there are unconfirmed reports there are homes in that area as well. The story just breaking in the last uh, little bit, so we'll continue to update you as we get more information. Now, the animal that became an international sensation by mastering sign language has died. Coco, the lowland gorilla, died in her sleep at the age of 46. As part of an experiment, she learned to sign more than 2,000 words, a vocabulary about equal to that of a human toddler. That skill and her motherly attachment to her pet cats helped change the world's attitude about animal intelligence and empathy. 
Well, the Prime Minister of New Zealand has made history. 37-year-old Jacinda Ardern gave birth to a baby girl this morning, and both are doing well. Ardern is the second elected leader to have a child while in office, nearly 30 years after after Pakistan's Benazir Bhutto. It's the first child for Arden and her husband Clark. And if they've picked a name, they're not saying yet, Arden plans to take six weeks of maternity leave before returning to work. It is the final resting place of some of B.C.'s most notorious criminals and has been for more than 100 years. But as Paul Johnson reports, even though it's right in the middle of Metro Vancouver, most people don't even know it exists. Across the path from a cluster of high-rises in New Westminster is a patch of ground that even locals know little, if anything, about. We walk through here two or three times a week. Oh, I think I've heard about that. You'll find the gate on the edge of Glenbrook Ravine Park. And if you look carefully, you'll see several rows of concrete markers with numbers on them. These are gravestones marking the final resting place of prisoners who died in the old B.C. penitentiary. You don't want to have criminals buried with your uh, precious family members. John Mitchell is a historian who's explored the cemetery and the little that's known about the men buried there, who died between 1912 and 1968 and didn't have families willing to accept their remains. There were every class of criminal some with notorious rap sheets that made the papers, others obscure, and they had to be buried somewhere. So they had to find a place to intern them, so they went to the far reaches of uh, the grounds that they controlled, and that was this little parcel of land. There were 43 prisoners who were buried here, but historians only have records for 14 of them. The rest of them, their identities, their stories, probably lost to history. BC Penn was torn down in the early 80s. Today, the most visible legacy is a building known as the Castle, which houses a pub. And the rest of the property has been redeveloped. But the cemetery couldn't be moved and has now been encircled by the new community. Like the stories of many buried here, the cemetery known as Boot Hill is a mystery to most and an intriguing part of B.C. history. Paul Johnson, Global News. This looks like an in-flight disaster, but that is not smoke. We'll tell you why passengers were angry, more than terrified, right after the forecast. Mm. All right. Uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our forecasts. So much going on throughout B.C. on this first day of summer. Christy? That's exactly right, Sophie. I just wanted to give you a quick image. I know it's tough to see, but just these are the lightning strikes across the province yesterday. Thousands of them. The areas in uh, red are the uh, the um, new fires that were ignited. And I can expect and you can expect uh, an image like this to be created at the end of today as well, because this is the action that's going on. I showed you that earlier. Keep in mind, across the north, uh, our lightning detection system doesn't extend that far north, but there are lightning strikes all the way up into the BC Peace River area as well. So we are still on severe thunderstorm watch. We'll let you know if any more develop this evening. There definitely is that potential. And for tomorrow, the areas in yellow here, these are the areas that have the potential of severe thunderstorms. So confining it more so in that southeastern corner of the province, but all of the areas in blue still could see thunderstorms. Now, a lot of people know that you don't want to stand 
under or near a tree. Certainly near a tree uh, because the lightning can actually travel through the ground. But here's an interesting one. Uh, The most dangerous place to be would actually be out in the open. You do not want to be caught out in the open because then you're the tallest object and that's where you have the best chance of being struck by lightning. Under a tree is right in behind there and boat in a boat and in the water also very dangerous. So you want to head indoors or into a car would be your second option. Check out our Sky Tracker app. It's a good one when we're dealing with severe weather. It will show you exactly where those thunderstorms are, where they're going and which areas have the warnings. And you can also check me out on Twitter. There's your forecast for tomorrow. So much easier conditions across the north coast, but from the BC Peace River down through Prince George, we're expecting thunderstorms, but the bulk of the big action will happen in these areas here. So temperatures still above seasonal, a number of showers and thunderstorms. We have showers in the forecast for areas north into uh, Courtney, Campbell River and towards Squamish, but we should be dry here in Metro Vancouver. Just a very slight chance of an isolated shower tomorrow. Your weekend looking good until Sunday evening when we have a chance of showers once again. A great shot from uh, Michelle in Prince George. That was the thunderstorm that rolled through Prince George yesterday. And I want to tell you a little bit about a new program that we're going to have on Wednesdays. It's a We Love Water uh, Wednesday starting next Wednesday. And you can share your water-saving tips on Twitter. Just hashtag We Love Water. And if you want, put in welovewater.ca. Send it to me, and we will check out your Twitter um, uh, water-saving tips coming up next Wednesday. We love water. Thank you very much, Christy. Well, an Air Asia pilot is being accused of putting the health and safety of his passengers at risk. When passengers sitting on a tarmac in India began complaining about long delays, the pilot ordered them off the plane. When they refused, because it was pouring rain, they say he did this. Turned on the cabin's air conditioning to full blast, trying to force them to leave the plane. Passengers say they were coughing and choking, some even vomiting, and children were crying. They were finally taken to the terminal and left four hours later on the same plane. Air Asia is only saying the mist was a normal condition in very humid conditions. All right. Finishing touches on the sportscast and Squire is good to go. Yes, I am. And the NHL is going to be good to go, at least. The Canucks will be on October 3rd. That's when the regular season will start at home against Calgary. Of course, you'll get multiple home games against all the teams in the Canucks neighborhood, the Pacific Division. But when will teams from far-off lands visit? Well, here's a few notables. We uh, gave you a list. Bruins, the Champs, and the Champs from the year before will all be in in October. Montreal visits November 17th. Winnipeg will show up twice this year. Predators on the 6th. The Lightning, who right now are the favorites to win next year's Stanley Cup, the 18th. And the Maple Leafs, I think that's a Wednesday night game. Maple Leafs in town on March 6th. Look at Lionel Messi. Does he have a headache or something? Ugh. Not another Argentinian game. i got to put this team on my back. But he couldn't do much today. That is a tragedy. Willie Caballero just giving it to Antti Rebic, who scores there to make it 1-0 in the 53rd minute. Then, Luka Modric. Oh, take one more look at this. Actually, that is a brilliant shot. He could have put that down and dribbled around the keeper. Oh, Dana White's the coach of Argentina. That's interesting. Uh, Watch Luka Modric here. Is he going to go this way? Nope. That way? Nope. Wait a minute. There you go. Back of the net. Brilliant. Argentina's in serious trouble of being knocked out of this tournament before the knockout stage. That boy can't even look anymore. Needs to be consoled. 
Uh, Croatia the win over Argentina, 3-0. Australia, Denmark. Christian Eriksen. Another nice shot from in close. Off the bounce, 1-0 for the Danes. But penalty kick. And Mila Jednak will score for the Aussies, and they tie this. 1-1, that is the final, Australia and Denmark. France and Peru. France moving on to the knockout stage, no surprise. Kylian Mbappe, which was my favorite song by Hanson Brothers there. Another Hanson, Hanson? Altenbop, sorry. 19 years old. Peru's out, France moves on to the knockout stage, Mbappe with the goal there. I don't know the rest of the words to that. No one ever did. John Calipari, uh, John Calipari Tommy Lasorda, Jason Garrett, former coach or manager and uh, college basketball coach and an NFL football coach, and that's a great catch by Mitch Hanniger, helping out his buddy James Paxton of Ladner, although he'd already given up a two-run homer to Aaron Judge. One thing about Paxton, he loves to throw the fastballs, and the Yankees love to swing at fastballs. Miguel Andujar, home run, 4-3 the final. New York over the Mariners in an afternoon game at Yankee Stadium. Tomorrow night at Rogers Arena, Canada's men's basketball team will take on China in an exhibition game. You can see NBA stars like Kelly Olynyk and Corey Joseph play for Canada as they use this game as a tune-up to qualify for the World Cup of Basketball next fall. Despite just missing out on qualifying for the last Olympics, Canada is a country on the rise on the international basketball stage. Barring disaster, we should make it to next year's 32-country World Cup of Basketball. Despite the fact superstars like Andrew Wiggins are not taking part this summer in qualifying, there's plenty of talent to get the job done. We've got a lot of good players in our country, and uh, if somebody can't make it and somebody doesn't play, uh, the, the depth is why we're, we're, we're a strong contender to still be pretty darn good. 27. It's 29. Hopefully, players like Wiggins and Cleveland Cavaliers center Tristan Thompson will play for Canada next September in China. That would give Canada a real shot at a medal. Some players always make time for the national team, like Corey Joseph and Kamloops native and Miami Heat forward Kelly Olynyk. It's important. Um, you know, the country that gave you all the opportunities to do what you, you do in life and you know, kind of raised you. And, um, no way to give back to that. And, no way to give back to the, the nation and, and the people that supported you and, and helped you be where you are. But even more exciting is the youth movement in Canada. 18-year-old R.J. Barrett, who will play at Duke next year and is the consensus number one NBA pick in the 2019 draft, leads a group of young Canadians with out-of-this-world skill sets. You know, they want to be on the stage at a young age. They want to be great, and they, they haven't been spoiled with any of the benefits of the game yet so they just it's just raw love for the game i mean i think it's just gonna keep growing you know we're, we're on an upward trend and you know i don't think it's stopping anytime soon canada will play two more qualifying games next week in ontario against the dominican republic and the virgin islands as they pursue a spot at next year's world cup very delayed global sports very mentioned rj barrett next year's nba draft this year's nba draft going on tonight deandre ayton center of Arizona, stays in Arizona. He'll play for the Phoenix Suns. That young man, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, is from Hamilton, Ontario. He went 11th overall to Charlotte, and that's a nice jacket. Got to get me one of those in a slightly smaller size. The, the adjective you'd use to describe that jacket is, it's Gilgisly gorgeous. 
It's it almost looks like something Don Cherry might. Gorgeous Gilgis. Good Where? point, yeah. As well. You're right. <laughs> okay, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11, including that breaking wildfire news out of Kamloops. Jay? That's right, Sophie. We're following the wildfire very closely in Kamloops in the area of Bachelor Heights. Firefighters are on scene. Crews are battling this from the air and ground. We're hearing that police are blocking access to the area and turning people back. There are also reports of evacuations. We'll have the very latest for you at 11 as the story develops. So, Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Jay. Obviously a serious situation there. We're going to be back with the grouse grind opening today. Some people taking the opportunity to stretch their endurance to the breaking point and raise money for Children's Hospital. That's coming up next. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things you can do this weekend. Kasia? Yeah, this time of year, it's all about community celebrations. And we begin the party in Burnaby with the Scandinavian Midsummer Festival. Two days of live music, Scandinavian dancers, games, including the famous wife-carrying race and a real Viking raid. The first ever Port Moody Community Fair is happening Saturday. Among some of the highlights, mini train rides, an inflatable slide, an arcade truck and a Science World demo. The view from the mountaintop at the Sea to Sky Gondola is stunning. The view at sunset, breathtaking. Every Saturday during the summer, enjoy 50% off your gondola ticket after 5 p.m. to take in the sunset from their remarkable patio. Who doesn't love strawberries? The Strawberry Festival is on with music, bouncy castles, activities and food, including the star of the show, Strawberry Shortcakes. National Indigenous Peoples Day celebrations are happening across Canada, including events at Fort Langley and the Gulf of Georgia Cannery. There will be performances, storytelling, workshops and more. For more on this, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Coming up on ET Canada, Burton Cummings on his recovery from his horrific car crash, plus rising stars Kira Isabella and Julia Michaels with the stories behind their biggest hits. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks, Sangita. Well, it was a big day for hikers as the grouse grind opened today for the summer. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, some people were up at the crack of dawn and weren't satisfied with doing it just once. All for a good cause, of course. After being shut down for seasonal maintenance, the grind reopened. Oh, yes, I am. I've been waiting six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. There are constant stairs. You don't really get that anywhere else. It's a beautiful day for a hike, but not just any grind on nature's Stairmaster. One with meaning and purpose to help BC Children's Hospital Foundation. I have a little boy. He's two and a half. Ever since he was born, I was trying to... Do some more for our community and BC Children's Hospital. My kids are born in the hospital, so, so you know, it's always uh, it's good to give back, you know. The fourth annual multi-grouse grind challenge at Grouse Mountain has raised thousands for BC Children's Hospital Foundation. So cardiology programs can be supported. Grouse hopes to beat last year's fundraising total of $22,000. They're trying to see if they can do their personal best or beat the record, but it's also a fundraiser for BC Children's Hospital, so all the participants are raising money to help BC Children's Hospital Foundation, so it's a, it's a great cause. 60 grinders registered for the event, many pushing themselves to set a new personal best, others trying to break last year's record of 17 grinds during the event. How many did you do last year? 15. 15? Yeah. So you're hoping for 16 at least. I Record am. is 17 though. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's for young people. 
The challenge is on until 10 o'clock tonight, but the true winners are the kids who will benefit from the funds raised for BC Children's Hospital. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, good for them. How many have you done today? It's good. I've done seven. I'm on my eight. Uh, this is... 14. 14. Well, wow, they still seem ten. so energetic. Oh, this is number 10. Grind obviously is still busy tonight. A number of multi-grinders well into double digits. They can keep at it right up until dusk, which is about 10 o'clock tonight. Wow. Go for it. All to raise money for the BC Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And there is one runner who's also doing it for Cops for Cancer. So... Mm-hmm. Good luck, Astrid. Hope you do that uh, many times as well. Okay, um, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So lightning strikes still all over the province. We're not expecting the thunderstorms to die down until probably midnight. So keep your eye on the sky if you hear lightning go indoors. There's your forecast for Metro Vancouver. Mainly cloudy, slight chance of showers, but still no major rain in our forecast. Uh, a nice weekend, though, for most. All right. Something special to end the show. We're going to do the grind together as a team just once. Yes. Only once in one day. Uh, yes. As we say goodnight, we are going to celebrate National Indigenous Peoples Day. Here's a look at the ceremonies and celebrations right across the country. Have a good evening.